Good morning. I am Edward Filhuyn, and I'm the senior minister at the center here to talk to you about our teaching. And I was sitting taking notes about the lyrics of the song that we sang leading us into the prayer and quiet time. You may, may recall, I will make a quiet place and I will wait upon the Lord. In our tradition, we are very interested in taking uh, lyrics and then reframing them in contemporary spiritual language so as to avoid superstition or separation from the divine. So let's have a look at these lyrics, I will wait upon the Lord. So wait upon is not meant in the sense I'm going to sit around until something supernatural comes to me. It's more in the sense of um, I will attend to. I will make sure someone's needs are met. Now, the Lord, then, we have to look at what does that mean. We can say from our way of thinking, it means the source of my being. And a gender-neutral or gender-inclusive substitute for Lord would be spirit. And spirit, not being a person, would have no needs. So I'm not looking to meet the needs of spirit. I'm attending it. So what that means is I am responding to and synchronizing with the nature of spirit so that I can act from that awareness and make better choices for my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's what we are about today. So let's dive right in. I'd like to begin with a story. It's a well-known piece. It's called An Autobiography in Five Chapters by Portia Nelson. And some of you may recognize it from some of the classes we've taught. And it goes like this. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I, I know where I am. It is my fault, and I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's that second chapter in Portia's story, you know, the part that goes, I pretend I don't see it, and I fall into the same hole over and over again, that caused me to think about the topic for today, which is, pain pushes us until vision pulls us. So the person in the story doesn't have a problem with their physical vision, they can clearly see the hole. But like me and maybe like you sometimes, there are those moments in life when I pretend not to see it. Or my habit is so strong that I just stick with what I'm doing and then there I find myself in the same hole over and over again. So vision in this case 
is not about what do I see, it's about what do I intend for my life. Vision means where am I aiming to go? And vision means what are the values that I align with that guide me through the streets, sidewalks, and holes of life. Now, getting clear on what those three things, what is my intention, what am I aiming for, what are my values, getting clear on that can help me ask the question and answer it, is the street I am on currently in life one that I ought to stay on? Now, I'm going to be teaching an intentions workshop in March the 3rd, on March the 3rd at 1 p.m. to help us get clear on those very things, the things in life that help us stay closer to what is important, that inform our emotions, that affect our choices, so that we can be more accountable for the path that we are on. Now, in that story in five chapters, the character in the story experiences what we would call a change in awareness. And it's that change that we are interested in at the Center for Spiritual Living. You may have heard it expressed like this, how to change your mind. That's what we're about and this week on our website, I'll post uh, an article with some research and steps for how to change your mind, because, you know, that's what we're interested in. Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, change your thinking and change your life, yes. Well, how exactly is a person supposed to do that? Well, have you ever navigated from um, point A to point B? using a navigation app on your smart device or on your car screen that shows you step-by-step step which way to go and where to turn. You've done that. Some of us grew up with Thomas Guides, right, unfolding those maps. But now we have the option. We can look at a digital map. Now, my partner, he uses a digital map in a way that makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> See, he orients the map on his screen like it's a physical map on a desk, you know, so that north is always at the top, right? So the problem for me is that I get confused because when I'm driving south... And I need to make a turn, and I'm using his method. Then a turn to the right on the map looks like it's a turn to the left. So I orient the map differently so that the direction I'm going in is always at the top ahead of me. So that when I need to make a right turn, it's right there on the map. Am I making sense? So clearly I am right and he is wrong. Now, the interesting thing about this difference or this preference about maps is how very difficult it is for me to try on another way of looking at a map. I'm not even talking about politics. I'm not even talking about religion or planetary wellness or human rights. I'm just talking about which way a map should be oriented. So I had a silent talk with myself, and I asked myself the question, Edward, if it's so easy to change your mind, 
why not do it right here? And it wasn't that easy. I mean, you know, I had to go through a process. First thing, I had to get into a beginner's mind, you know, be teachable, be open. Uh, And I had to get out of my automatic mode, you know. So that meant I needed to pay more attention on a consistent basis. So that meant I had to be present. I had to have willingness in me. And I, I had to face my bias, that voice inside of me that's going, this is stupid. Why doesn't he change the map? Why do I have to? And and eventually, at some point, I I got comfortable with this new way of moving through the world. I mean, somewhat. And I mention this because on a very surface level, this is kind of what it's like. This is kind of what the process of changing mind feels like and looks like and includes. A change in mind is what we are interested in at the Center for Spiritual Living. And I remember when I first discovered the Center for Spiritual Living and the Science of Mind, one of the most refreshing changes in thinking for me was about the Creator. You see, because I'd been raised uh, to uh, think about God as a benevolent man somewhere, everywhere, who loved me, kind of, and who was watching over me, sort of, but who also allowed awful things to happen in the world for reasons my young mind just couldn't figure out. I mean, to my young mind, honestly, it was terrifying because I was taught that this um, supernatural being... um, would step in on my behalf if I was good, if I believed correctly, would step in then to navigate, help me navigate around the holes on the sidewalks of the street of life. But that clearly didn't always work out. Not even for the faithful. And that was very difficult for me to unpack as a child. I mean, I tried to believe in the right way, I tried to be good. I tried asking in the right way for help for my developmentally disabled brother, for my impoverished family, for my beleaguered nation. And it was painful and confusing when the help did not appear to be forthcoming. I questioned what was wrong with me. Then when I found science of mind, it it gave me a new start and a a new perspective. It gave me a new vision for life and provided a new roadmap. Instead of depending on the intervention of a supernatural entity, I was introduced to this beautiful idea, this idea of using my mind, of using my thoughts and using my emotions and tuning into my intuition so that I could tune into the creative energy of life and use it to help me navigate through life and to get up when I fell down into a hole. And I learned that if I insisted on repeating the same mistakes while hoping for a different outcome, that my repeated accidents had less to do with the will of God than they had to do with this loyalty I had to do things that didn't work. 
So spiritual living started to be, for me, about changing in my mind. Changing from living as if I'm asleep. To be more awake to the possibilities and potential of life. Now, what do I mean by asleep, living asleep? Well, another word for that we use here is to be unconscious. That's the state of not having any awareness of when I am on automatic, moving through life without any particular sense of agency or choice available, without any sense of my part in things. But living, really living, to me, needs a waking up. And waking up takes some kind of change in mind. And a change in mind comes from some internal questioning. For example, like asking, who am I? What is this I that is asking these questions? What makes me think? And do I have any choice in how I show up in life, in my family, in my relationships, anywhere? And it's my experience that when a person starts this kind of inquiry, this probing, they are going to definitely start to notice that there is far more going on in life than this go to sleep, get up, work, eat, buy things, order online and TV. They start to notice that there is a power that they can tune into and use for dynamic and beautiful creative purposes. Now, spiritual living then adds the spirit part to being awake. In addition to being more aware of what life has available, now the emphasis is on the spirit. So we must ask, what is spirit? Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? We can turn to Taoism. I love what it says. Whatever you name it, that's not the name. (laughs) And we kind of agree with that. Um, Science of Mind says it Whatever it is, is beyond any definition we can come up with. So we look for a temporary idea, a name that is big enough to describe all of it. So we might use the phrase like the universe sometimes to describe it. Now, we don't mean the planets and the stars. We, we use the term the universe to mean the everything. And we might say spirit is the great everything. So then, spiritual living means the practice of being aware of the great everything. The practice of seeing the great everything everywhere and in everyone. The practice of remaining mindfully and consciously as possible aware of it as the underlying story structure of all things and then to, on an ongoing basis, harmonize with its nature so that it informs our choices, our words, and our actions. Living spiritually puts the question asker into the center of the universe. And it says, like, it radiates this message to us, you exist powerfully. 
even when you think you are lost, even when you find yourself in a hole, even when you feel like you don't have any choices available, even when you think you have no power and your courage seems to have gone and you cannot find the way out and the message of it says within you, you exist powerfully and your job is to keep on knowing that. And I think this is very important. I think it's going to be very important for us this year, 2024, because it's an election year, you know? And um, I think there's a powerful narrative out there in society and in the group mind that says, you don't have the power to change things. Your voice doesn't count. Some issues are way too complicated for you to understand. You can't think and analyze and decide. But a spiritual being rejects all of that and says instead, oh, yes, I can. I may have to break out some old habits and get rid of them. I may have to stop pretending I don't see the holes in the sidewalk. I may have to try on a different way of looking at a map. I may have to get out of my comfort zone and educate myself. And all of this, just all of it, not only can I do it, but it's like I was made to do it. So I can say then, I am a learning, growing, evolving, mind-changing machine. So rather than appealing to this old idea of the creator of my youth for help, I can now instead... Embrace the creative power that is within me and my connection to all that is so that it can inform me how to step up, speak up, and participate. Now, in the past, and sometimes still in the present, this is how it has gone for me. Something happens. Let's say it. A check bounces, right? First thing I do is I deny my part in it. Why would the bank bounce it? I've got very good history with them. This is unfair. It's not my fault. Then I, I talk myself into becoming a casualty of something that is out of my control. And I tell myself, that bank can never get my support and confidence back to where it was. And I talk myself into that because then I can move into holding other people accountable and responsible. I keep on telling myself, why didn't they tell me that when I write a check for more money than what I have available, that it will bounce? <laughs> then I started studying science of mind and a new process started to become available. Something happens. The check bounces. And then right there, the new pathway becomes available. I, and right there, I started to accept this idea, I may have had something to do with this. That was a terrific and powerful change in my mind. Sometimes I don't even know what my part is. It's just that the acceptance of it is so empowering and opens up the next question because then I can step in powerfully and affirm that I have the ability to choose differently next time 
and for what is next for me. Even if it's something as small as cutting my losses, it's just empowering for me to look into that. And that can lead into the, the final part, the deeper part, where I begin to ask myself certain questions. For example, number one, I can ask myself, Edward, what happened? And then describe it as if describing a photo, and it helps to write it down. Just get to the facts as simply and as directly as I can without adding any other details or justification, or meaning, or hurt. A check bounced. Then I can look at it and move to the next part of the inquiry. I can ask myself, what part did I play in this, in creating this? And now this is not meant to create any blame or, or to excuse myself or other people for bad behavior. This is just part of the steps for changing my mind that is very powerful. The change of mind from powerless to powerful. You know, and of course, if it raises any red flags, that's, you stop, you step back from the process. Man, I can ask the question a different way. How did I allow this? How did I create it? How did I participate in it? How do I perpetuate it? And this inquiry allows me to move to the next level and ask myself, what direction can I go in now? This is one of the ways that science of mind has opened up a whole new world of possibility for me. And it, it taught me that because I am just like you are, because you are a part of the life of all, you matter. Because your choices are part of how life becomes what it is, you matter. And that has been an ongoing point of waking up for me. How I live has something to do with how everything is. And it's helped me to shift my perspective and change my mind in several ways. I can track them. For example, uh, since I started studying, I have started telling the truth more. I I've started being on time more. I started following through more. I started committing only to things that I knew I could do. Less and less I would say things that I didn't mean. Less and less I would go along with things that I didn't agree with. And this created a certain confidence in me, a belonging in life, a solidness, not only in my life, but also in my prayer work. It showed up in my prayer work because in my prayer work, I started to tell the truth more instead of complaining, instead of blaming, instead of begging. Less, I less, less and less in my prayer work would I say things that I didn't mean or didn't understand but had heard somebody say. No empty words that I didn't feel. And I've been on this journey of changing my mind for a while, and so I can see now the relevance to our topic, the push of pain, how it gives way when we let ourselves be pulled forward 
by a vision. Now, what, what is the vision? Now, well, it's going to be different for each person. But for me, it's this vision that we get in our movement, this vision that humanity, you and me, has within it the potential to be magnificent and compassionate and clear and creative and connected. So here's a, a, a new vision story for my walk through life. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. Because I know who I am, I am not lost. I have clarity and courage within me, so I pause and take a deep breath and tap into that. In that moment, I gently accept my role in the situation. I notice what I've learned and I'm learning. It takes as long as it takes to find a way out. And when I emerge, I'm stronger, clearer, and ready to keep on walking. And that's the only chapter in the story. Yeah.